Thank you, Haley. Everybody glad to be here today? So glad to have you with us today. We're starting a new series called Ask. Everybody say ask. Ask. I believe that 2012 is absolutely going to be the most amazing year that we've ever seen yet in our lives. We've seen God do every year just more and more and more as we put our trust in him. Great series that we started out this year. A number of you did the get new in 30. You read the Bible through. I'm sorry, not the Bible, but the New Testament through in 30 days. Uh, I finished that, read it through the New Living Translation this time, and I see new things every time. It amazes me. Some of you have been fasting with us since January the 15th. Uh, that concludes today. Some giving up social media, some giving up soft drinks, some fasting one meal a day, others going a little bit more intense than that. And so we appreciate you for doing this because we've been doing it as a concerted effort to seek the Lord for his will to be revealed for us in 2012. Great series that we started the year with. I just want to say, if you would right now, just give it up for our team. Come on, put your hands together. We've got a great team here. Pastor Alex Blankenship, Pastor Jeremy Soto, Pastor Haley Vest. What a a great crew that God has put together for us. Uh, I'll be speaking this month on the, this new series called Ask, Accessing the Promises of God. Um, Alex is the one who always does our, these amazing graphics for us. I love this because it just pictures this guy in a place of complete abandon. You know, it, it can be, he can be in a place of desperation. He can just be a place of complete surrender. So this morning, as you look at that graphic and we kick this series off, I just want you to find a place in your heart of that posture where everything is up and our focus is completely on God, not on ourselves, and we're asking God. We're asking God for things that we've never, ever thought that we could before. Because God is able to do, the Bible says, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. I love the NIV. It says, ask or imagine. Today, as we start this series, I just want to say a little preemptive note that this is not about whatever I can come up with and some crazy desire in my heart, but it's about really getting a clear understanding of what the will of God is in my asking. James 4 says, we have not because we ask not, or we have not because we've asked amiss, uh, not a part of the will of God. So this morning, I want to begin, and I'm, I'm a little bit old school about the Word of God in our very first passage. So if you would stand with me, please. title of the message is called Just Ask. Look at your neighbor and say, Just Ask. And we're going to start with our text. It is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And I'd like you to heartily read it out loud with me today as we begin. Are you ready? Here we go. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Everybody say great and precious promises. Now think about that for a moment. I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And after we pray, we can have a seat. But think about this. this. In this moment, as we begin this series, in this first moment of this message today, 
God has given you in his word over 8,000 promises. Promises that are there for your strength, for your comfort, for your edification. We'll be talking about those this morning in just a moment. But I want you to see these two adjectives. Everybody say great and precious. Now, don't think precious like precious moments. Some of you know what precious moments is. It was really kind of in a few years ago among folks who really liked the little pretty little babies in pastel colors, mostly the women. I don't know a lot of guys that were all about that, but, um, you know, especially in little babies' nurseries, and they, they were precious. But it sort of has twisted our idea of what the word precious means because we look at a little baby and we say, isn't that precious? Just precious. <laughs> now, try it like that. I mean, I know it's a little weird, but just go, precious. Okay, that's not the kind of precious I'm talking about. Precious in the Bible means weighty, or of great value. Ladies, if you have a diamond on your finger because your husband or your fiance gave it to you, that diamond is called a precious gem, a precious stone. Why? Come on, talk to me. Because it's very valuable. It is weighty in terms of value. So the promises of God, first of all, say they're great and they're precious. They're very valuable to us. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you today for the great and the precious promises of God, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Thank you, Jesus, that the greatest promise that you give to us is the primary one, the first one, the promise of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that because you have died for our sins, that you took upon yourself the wrath of God poured out for me, the people in this room, Lord, your church. Thank you for the sins of the world that you took that. Jesus, we honor you today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in this place. You are the only teacher. Do what I cannot do. I acknowledge before you and this people that I am nothing and can do nothing, but, a, but with you, I can do all things. Speak through me, Lord, today into specific circumstances and people's lives that nobody else in this room has any knowledge of. Holy Spirit, you do, and that's all that counts. Do what you do. Touch hearts. Transform us. Make us to be the holy people that you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we ask. And all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. 8,000 promises. I will never ever leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. Be, do not fear. Be not afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord thy God shall go with you. I can't get away from quoting King Jimmy because I grew up my whole life in church in King James. Multitudes of promises that deal with your needs and your desires and circumstances, direction when you're confused, light when it's dark. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Psalm 119 verse 105. You're struggling with a sin pattern in your life. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a promise right there in that, that God says, If I'll get his word in my heart, he'll strengthen me. That no temptation that I go through, it's, it's, it's common to man, that he will in that provide me a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It reads you more than you read it. So this morning, as we open this series, I just want to challenge you to a view of God who is much bigger than you ever thought he was. 
He's bigger than the prayers that you learned to pray in nursery school or kindergarten or Sunday school. He's bigger than the prayers that you might be willing to pray now as an adult because sometimes we grow into this idea that we think that we won't bother God with the little things. And really it's all things that God wants to be bothered with because he desires a relationship with you. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 6, do not let it just be about empty, vain words. He says, because your heavenly father knows what you need even before you ask him. So what's the purpose of asking if God knows what I need before I ask? Well, it's the fact that he wants that process to help you build a relationship with him. He wants to know you, wants to walk with you, lead you, guide you, speak to you, teach you how to understand the voice of the good shepherd because you are his sheep. Does anybody in the room believe that you're God's sheep this morning? Say amen. All right, these are the promises. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 10. This passage is found in the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's pretty good so far, isn't it? Okay, let's go on. Or which one of you, he says, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He says, go ahead and click it. Next. Did it stick on us again? All right, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father and who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, once in a while that thing sticks, and so I've got it right here. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) All right, now I want you to see something real quick. Everybody say, ask. Now, and just besides hearing this in the simple form of a petition or a request from God, I want you to see it like an acrostic, a s k. Okay. And the word ask itself is a summary of this passage. Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. And what you're actually seeing here is a progression of intensity. I first of all submit my request to God and I pray and the Lord grants permission. And then I begin to put legs on my prayers. I don't just sit back and wait. Many times, folks... Christians have the wrong idea about waiting on God, and it's just, it's kind of a, an idleness. It's kind of a just sit back and don't do anything. And God intends for you to mix with your faith some works because faith without works is what? It's dead. This series that I'm starting today and bringing to you has three big themes in it. These three big themes are prayer and faith and vision. Everybody say prayer, prayer. faith, and vision. So these are the things I'm going to be stirring up in your heart over the next four weeks, today and the next three Sundays in February. I ask God, and then God grants permission, and then I begin to put some legs on my prayer, and I start moving. I'm looking. I'm seeking. And, and, and as I begin to get in motion, that's when God can begin to give direction. Dr. Billy Graham said it this way, God cannot change directions of something that is not moving. You get in your car and you try, no matter how hard you try, it's in park and you want to be heading in that direction. There's no way you're going to get the car to turn in that direction if you don't put it in drive. And then when something is in motion, then you can start to turn the steering wheel and you can head in the direction in which you want to get. 
Okay, so out of my prayer closet, I get up off of my waiting and I begin to start moving and I'm seeking and I'm looking. And then in the process of looking, God brings me a door up in front of me that I start knocking on. Anybody hearing what I'm saying this morning? There's some intensity in our prayer. We ask God. God grants permission. Then he moves us from a place of asking where we start seeking. And the promise that is to me is that to everyone who seeks, he will what? I find a door. The door is before me. Sometimes the first door you find is not the one that God intends for you to walk through, but it took you moving and heading toward it so he could redirect you and change your direction to get you to the one that he intends to open up for you. Come on, somebody. What I want you to see in this passage is there are two things. Everybody say the power of God and the nature of God. Two important principles that you see right there below. God is great. Right in your blank, able, A-B-L-E. It's the ability of God. The dunamis is the Greek word, the power of God. Second one, God is good in the blank, right, willing. Too many times, folks don't have the faith to believe that God can, that he's able. Or if they believe he can, they think it's not his will, so he's not willing to do what you're requesting of him. And I want to remind you from this passage that Jesus basically looks at all of these people standing in front of him, and he says, now, guys, you love your kids, right? He says, you love your kids, and, and, and you want to give your kids good things, and there's not a father standing out here listening to the sound of my voice today. Jesus said that if he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a snake. There's not one of you that if, that's standing out here that if he asks for bread, you're going to hand him a stone. And he says, I want to tell you something. Your heavenly father is so good in such a great, vast difference. And it's a Hebrew idiom of comparison. Idiom, I-D-I-O-M. Now, don't associate the word idiot with it because it's nothing to do with it. An idiom basically is, is a comparison here. It's just this diametrically stretched spectrum that God is saying, look, you're good. You give your kids something good. You know how to, but your goodness compared to the heavenly fathers is literally when it gets compared to his, your goodness is evil. So Jesus basically says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, everybody look at your neighbor and say, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those, his children who, everybody say, ask. Who ask him. God is good all the time. I missed the point that I wanted to get right here. If you look back up under the first one where it says ask, and I gave you the acrostic, ask, seek, and knock. It's the word push. And I believe this is what God wants us to do as the body of Christ. Not merely victory, but Missouri Street and Marion First, Christians in all of these different places. My, My buddy at First Assembly, Rusty, and just different people in different congregations who love Jesus, who are all part of the body of Christ. God wants us this year to push. He wants us to P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. You don't give up. You do not faint. The Bible says, in due season we shall reap if we do not, if we don't lose heart, if we don't faint. You helping me preach on the front row right here, my brother. (laughs) God is great and God is good. I remember growing up as a three-year-old and my parents taught me to fold my hands at the table and say, God is great. God is good. God, we thank you for this food. With With your hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And I prayed that consistently for a number of years. 
And then when I became a teenager and I had a few memorized verses of scripture under my belt and thought I really knew more than I, than I did as a typical teenager does. And I started stepping out trying to pray like a real man. God. <laughs> Most holy, magnificent, great, and devout Father in heaven. You know how people just they try to flower up and make it, they think they're going to get God's attention. God's really more interested in you just being yourself. Just, just talking like you talk. And, and, and so something happened to me in my 20s, and I, I, started, I actually started to mature a little bit, I guess, and figure some things out, and I started to study some things theologically, and I started realizing how amazing it is that we can teach a three-year-old to put together the two most profound truths about our Heavenly Father, that He is great and He's good at the same time. He is great, He's able, He's good, He's willing. You're not hearing me this morning. I said our, great, our God is great, He's able. Philosophers struggle with these two components of the nature of God. They say because there's evil in the world, if God is good, he must not be great because he hasn't done anything about it. He can't. And they flip it the other side of the coin and they say, if this God of yours is great, then he must not be good because he hasn't done anything about the problem of evil. And you and I know that sin entered in at the fall. God created everything to be good. He stepped back and said, behold, it's very good. The scripture tells us that our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed and committed the first sin of high treason against God and basically said, no, thank you, you're not God, we'll be our own God, we'll make our own decisions. And they disobeyed God and partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were opened and they were naked and the first thing, the first act that they did was to hide and try to sew together some religious facade. Scripture says it's aprons. You know, that's about as good as your church cloak is. It's fine as long as you don't turn around. Granny's apron had a front on it, but it didn't have a... All right, maybe that's an image I shouldn't have put in your head right there. Uh, if you're a Pharisee, then thank you for coming today. I know you won't be back. <laughs> oh, well, hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Jesus. It's still operating. Uh, God is great and God is good. Second part, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Amen. You're working, you're working. <laughs> Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Have faith in whom? God. So who is the object of our faith? God. Is it in ourselves? Nope. It is in our ability? Is it in my strategy or my plan or my dream or my design or my ability to manipulate circumstances? Or maybe, you know, I can do a little creative financing and I can make all this work out or I can manipulate something here, influence somebody else. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about reaching up above. Have faith in God. The Bible says, truly I say to you, Jesus says, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Look at somebody and tell them right now, talk to your mountain. Speak to your mountain. Come on, tell somebody else. Speak to your mountain. What is the obstacle in your life this morning that you struggle with to get over it may be an area of limitation. It can be an area of addiction. It, it can be any number of things that you might wrestle with that you need to get past. It can be an area that God has blessed us with that we take out of balance and abuse. It can be food. It can be sex. 
It can be possessions. It can be position. It can be honor. It can be things that we do in the community that are for good, but that we turn on ourselves in order to gain attention. Anything, whatever this mountain is with which we struggle, it can be financial, it can be relational, it can be spiritual, it can be emotional, it can be chemical, whatever it is, whatever your mountain is, see that thing right now this morning. The Bible says, whoever says to his mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Verse 24, look at this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, everybody say ask, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Quick side note, chase the rabbit and grab it here. I want you to see this. If your prayers aren't being answered, is there unforgiveness possibly in your heart? I'll devote a whole message later in this series on things that hinder our prayers, but that one's right in this text and I don't want to miss it. If you're praying, you're speaking to a mountain and the mountain's not moving, check to make sure you're walking in forgiveness. Forgiving yourself, forgiving others. Are you hearing me this morning? The object of our faith is God alone. It's not me, it's not my job, it's not my dream, my, my vision, my plan, my strategy, anything that has my in front of it. It's all about God and God alone. Say amen. All right, point number one, nothing is impossible if I believe and do not doubt. What does, what does to, to believe mean? It means to be convinced, to be persuaded. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I, I, I look into the heavenly realm and I see the promise of God. I'm accessing some of these 8,000 promises that that have to do with everything from comfort and strength and cheer and joy in the midst of sorrow and, and provision in the place of lack and, and direction when I, when I don't know which way to go and light when it's dark and, and comfort when I'm afraid. Come on, somebody. The promises of God are amazing. And we can access them if we'll ask in faith. Nothing is possible if I believe and I do not doubt. But I want to tell you that I don't believe those promises are just so that I can concoct some idea about a more expensive car and a house with more square footage and designer labels in my clothes. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but I don't believe God has given us this great vehicle for accessing the promises of God and us focusing only on our own lusts. I'm thankful for the faith message. I'm thankful for some of what's even been brought to us concerning prosperity, though I would not identify myself as one of those guys because I think they take it to an extreme. God wants to bless you. He wants to give you strength so you can go get you a job and you can work hard and you can get promoted and you can maybe build some capital and start a business and, and you can seek him for direction and wisdom and you can see the favor of God poured out on your business or your life or your job. And it's through those avenues. It's not just because... Guy moved in next door to us when I was in Bible school and husband didn't have a job and we kept after him. Well, hey, how about we connect you to this? Do you have any carpentry skills? Do you... You're your handyman because uh, he didn't have he, any kind of education. So we were trying to help him out. And he just says, well, I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to have faith. And I said, brother, I need to introduce you to a, pastor, a passage of the Bible that says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So this is not some kind of out of balance idea that, oh, I'll just trust God and God's just going to zip open the heavens and just dump down my lunch on me today. No, you better get your... Blessed assurance up and go get you some work. 
Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Faith without works is what? Yeah. I'm preaching so good. I don't even need an amen. I know I'm preaching good. <laughs> Nothing's impossible if I believe and I do not doubt. It's more than mumbling words, though. We must ask in faith. Number three, and I want to move quickly. I, w- I went over in the last service, and the second one doesn't have the limitations as much, even though they're there. I just don't feel compelled a lot of times to try to get it done, and so I don't want to go over 30 in this service, so I'm, I'm moving real fast. Faith asks now, but sees it already answered. Faith asks now, but sees it already answered. Are you hearing anything this morning? You get anything out of this? Look back with me, please, to verse 24. Now, I want you to notice the tenses of the verbs. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, verse 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Let's go back and analyze. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask, what tense is that? Present. Present. Whatever you ask in prayer, okay, present. So you're asking right now. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe. What tense? Present. Now watch. Believe that you have received it. What tense is that? Past. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Whatever you ask, present. Believe in the present that you have passed, already received it. See, because at the cross, Jesus Christ paid for everything that you would ever need and gave you all the promises for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Remember the scripture that I first read when we stood up and read together? He's given us everything already that pertains to life and godliness. It's already yours. You ask, you access it, you believe in the present, but you believe that he's already You've already received it. He's already given it to you. He's already paid for it. Come on, somebody. And he says, and it will be yours. So therefore, it's presently coming in the present. You ask presently, you believe in the present, but you believe that it's already been done in the past by faith. And guess what? He says, it will be yours. So I would ask you the question this morning, what kind of mountain are you facing sitting here in this room? What adjective do you put in front of it? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it a marriage issue? Is it a personal? Is it a sin issue? An addiction? A destructive pattern of behavior? Is it chemical? Is it sexual? Is it, is it food? Is it possessions? Is it, you know, there are all kinds of holics. They're not just alcoholics, but they're shopaholics and they're foodaholics and they're sexaholics and they're all kinds of things. We are people and we are broken people. And the unique thing about victory is that we don't try to hide behind some kind of religious robe. My daughter said it this way. She says, I like that person because they don't wear a church cloak. I'm driving down the road and I said, say what? She said, you know what I mean. People have church cloaks. I said, Abby, tell me what you're talking about. She said, well, they come to church and they just put on this fake nice face and everything is, you know, and you, you, you know they're eating up inside. And so I just want you, to, I want, I want you to know you can check your cloak at the door and you can come in this room and you can be real. You may be going through a divorce. We will love you. We will walk with you. You may be struggling with an addiction. We will come alongside you and we will tell you about your heavenly Moses. His name is Jesus, who will give you an exodus and lead you out of whatever that addictive pattern of behavior is. That is the gospel. 
that Jesus loves you just like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He's going to bring you out of that in order to bring you in to the fulfillment of the call that he has for your life. And everybody in this room has a call in your life. It's not, we, 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 we've missed something when we, when we start to think that a calling is only on the person who stands up here and has a pulpit and opens a Bible. You are called to be a Christian businessman. You are called to be a teacher in the school. You are called to be a mom who does a good job keeping the house clean. And you advance the kingdom every time you open up that nasty diaper and you wipe the chaos off of Junior's backside. You make holy your everydays. What is the mountain that is in front of you this morning? Abraham in Romans 4 did not stagger at the promise of God even though his own body was dead and Sarah's womb was dead. Abraham had heard a word from God and he decided to go down and hang out and watch the Super Bowl down there at Buffalo Wild Wings and he was just gonna sit back with his buddies and, and have some good fellowship and he said, boys, don't call me Abram anymore. Call me Abraham and they're going, <laughs> yep, he's in the first stages of Alzheimer's disease, isn't he? He's 75 years old. He's changing his name. We've known him as Abram our whole lives. Who does he think he is telling us to call him Abraham? We all know Abraham means father of many nations. That's crazy. No, you know what? Abraham had seen the promise of God and he had access to the promise of God that God had given him a word that he would have a son that would through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed he put that promise into action it took about 25 years for it to come about but the Bible says he never staggered at the promise of God considering his own body that was now dead in the deadness of Sarah's womb it says that he was persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised that he would do. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, so shall my word be it that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. NIV says it won't come back empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto have I sent it. When God speaks a word over your life, it's going to come back. Come on, you keep casting your bread on the water and it's going to come back with peanut butter and jelly on it. That's my translation. God speaks a word over your life and it's going to come back with fulfillment it's going to accomplish the plan that he put on it, and it's even going to prosper the stuff around it while it's doing the work. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? God dreams bigger dreams for your life than you do for your own. And we don't access the promises of God because we, ask, we have not because we ask not. I don't believe this is about what I can concoct too many times we are satisfied to live in a complacent state of, you know, things are pretty good. My bills are paid. I'm meeting my sales quota. Got a good team. The crew's fine. There's no mutiny on the deck. Pretty healthy. My bills are paid. A little bit of money in the bank. It's so easy just to sit back. When you get a little bit older, in your better earning years, and you lose the edge of trusting God for great things. I was sitting in a shepherd's meeting and Alex Blankenship said this. He's one of our shepherds here. And he said, guys, I'm going to tell you in 2012, we've got to trust God for some bigger things. He didn't know I was already working on this Ask series. And he said, I don't think we've needed God enough. And it was like a coal off of the altar of God was picked up by a seraphim, by an angel of God, and it was just dropped, and it just came right down here and started burning in my chest. 
So my whole prayer time, my fasting time, the month of January, just before God on my face and on my knees and reading through the New Testament and just seeing God move in such powerful ways, sometimes creating needs so he could teach people how to trust him more than they ever had before. Telling some disciples one day, feed this whole crowd. Don't send them home hungry. And the disciples go, uh, well, Jesus, uh, we'd have to work for several months and save our wages to be able to feed this crowd. And you know what happened? They went out and found the little boy with a happy meal. He brought his fish and chips to church that day. Five little loaves and two fish. Somebody said those must have been some really big loaves and a couple of whale-sized fish. No, the kid was carrying him, y'all. Little becomes much when you put it in the master's hand. My last point, man, I'm doing real good this time around. At Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, this is the great messianic psalm that David prayed, prophetically seeing Jesus 1,500 years before he came. Talked about the king being anointed on his holy hill, the scepter of righteousness in his hand. And David says in Psalm 2, verse 8, he says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. What if I were to tell you this morning, saints, as I bring this message to a close, that God wants to graduate you out of your elementary school praying where it becomes more than just making the rent check, keeping the boss happy, holding the marriage together, raising kids that don't go to jail, where you start praying, God, help me raise some champions that are generational world changers. We start asking God for big things where you start recognizing that God who, is, who loves you in an indescribable way has already said that if you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all of these things that you typically as a parent and a, and a citizen worry about, what you're going to eat, a house, a shelter over your head, what you're going to drive, how you're going to get to work, how you're going to provide for your family. He says if you would seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, his righteousness, that all of these things would come as a matter of free course to you. And realize that God has already said, I know what you need before you ever ask it. And if you would start realizing that God's put a tool in your mouth literally to shake the heavens, to break down strongholds over the delta, to destroy principalities and powers of racism and ignorance and poverty and the stuff that's binding up this delta region in which we live. The prejudice that exists between Christians and these folks don't like those folks because they don't believe this little bitty thing. When we fail to stop and realize that there's so much more that we have in common that we can embrace and celebrate because Jesus Christ is Lord over the body of Christ. And we want to split hairs over where faith has in this place and how much baptism has in this event and all of these different kinds of things. And we, like the body of Christ, are splintered and fragmented and Satan separates us and keeps us apart. And the world is going to hell in a handbasket because we're sitting around having theological discussions about how many angels can dance on the pin of a head. That was actually an argument in the 5th century. Ours don't reach that level of ridiculousness. That's just, as the rapper said, that's just redonkulous is what that is. (laughs) What if I told you that God wanted to teach you that your prayers are not just to get enough for us for and no more, but he wants you to start believing for things that absolutely would astound you? What if I told you God wanted to put nations into your hands? What if I told you that there were people sitting under the sound of my voice in this room in the 9 o'clock in the 1045 service that God dreams for you 
to see an outrageous financial blessing come your way so you can get on a plane and take a team to Africa and take $10,000 with you to dig two wells in villages where they don't have clean water to drink? What if I told you God wanted you to start to dream those kinds of dreams? Not just to drive the latest model of the biggest car, of the most square footage of the house, and have five-car garage and a speedboat and all these different kinds of things. These things are great, and there's nothing wrong with those things. God wants to bless you with things you can't even imagine, but things that don't own you, but you own them. And so that everything that you have and you do, it's all for the glory of God. Sir Francis Drake is one of my heroes in history. I have... I have a couple of degrees in history, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in global history and I teach in a couple of places because I just love teaching. I love connecting with people and helping them, their minds expand and getting a bigger picture of the greatness of God because I believe history is his story. I believe it's God's redemptive plan unfolding from a point in time in creation. Biblical history is linear. It starts at a point of creation and it travels to a point of consummation. We are not like the heathen and the pagans where we're stuck in some kind of cycle where we just are determined to repeat the same kind of sins and have the same kind of judgment in our life and then get transmigrated to another uh, body and reincarnated and don't kill the rat because it might be granny. God help us. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And as Christians, we believe history is filled and it's pregnant with God's purpose. Francis Drake, very famous. He was the second adventurer who circumnavigated the globe after Magellan did. He was a Christian man, personal friend of Queen Elizabeth I. The day he departed the west coast of South America, he prayed this prayer and wrote it in his journal. He said, disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture onto wilder seas, where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push back the future in strength, in courage, in hope, and in love. This we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. Disturb us, Lord. Disturb us as 21st century evangelicals. When we have a myopic view of, God, I just got to make it to the end of the week. Lord, just help me hold this marriage together. God, just help me get these kids out of the house and then not go to jail. We ask for too little. We don't believe God for great things. Our ask is too small because our vision is too small because our God is too small. If your dream isn't so big that you can't accomplish it without the help of God, then it's not a God-sized dream. It may be a good idea, but it's not a God idea. 2010, we had 169 fresh starts. 2011, we had over 1,100 fresh start salvation decisions. People that recommitted their lives to Jesus, people that were stirred by the word, people that walked into this place. All those are not new birth conversions. I understand that but they were places where God gave you a fresh start. Some of you are sitting here because last year you came to Christ. Some of you came back to church after being out for 20 years. 
You were a burnt stone. You'd been kicked out of the wall. You'd been hurt in church. You'd been hurt by people, mad at God, ticked off. I've been there. In 2012, I'm asking God for crazy things. I'm asking God for over 2,000 fresh starts to happen in this place. I'm asking God for a 2020 vision. You guys realize that's just eight years from now, the year 2020? I'm asking God for a 2020 vision to see this church at 2,000 people strong and two other churches planted in the Delta by this church with leadership teams that we raise up. One right across the river in downtown Memphis, one in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I'm asking God for leaders with vision who will come alongside this team and dream crazy dreams, not for themselves, but for the kingdom of God. I'm asking God for an army of volunteers with the spirit of Christ in their hearts and a serve shirt on their backs to take the spirit that's in this room on Sunday into the streets of West Memphis and Marion and Crittenden County and eventually downtown Memphis Monday through Saturday in a spirit of servolution where we go specifically to deal with the problems that are breaking the backs of people in West Memphis and Marion. I'm asking God for $1 million in our church checking account for us to step onto our property that's already paid for, 30 acres out there on Airport Road. Somebody told me years ago that I was out of my mind. I was crazy. had too little a congregation. It couldn't be done. I said, just laugh all you want to. Just watch. There'll be a day when I'll say, ha, ha, ha. Look what the Lord has done. 2009, we walked on the property. 2010, January 1st, we read the Bible over that property, newly paid for at the end of December 2009. It's ours, 30 acres, a half a million dollar piece of property that's already worth twice that because of all the houses that were built after we bought it. Where is the audacious faith? Where are the Joshuas who will pray some sun stand still prayers and say, God, hold back the sun so that we can... We can open a can on this enemy we've got here. We're going to whoop them in the name of Jesus. Where are the Abrahams who in their old age retirement already drawn their social security and got their AARP cards who won't stop dreaming for a son to bless the generations? Where are the Sarahs who may laugh but will still trust the God and their husbands to do what he said he'd do? Is anybody in the room hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? I'm asking you. I'm asking you. I'm asking you to ask God for big things, crazy things this year. Trust God. Where are the Davids who get sick of the taunting words of an uncircumcised giant and basically say, let me at him? Who refuse to wear Saul's armor but say, no, 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 I've already proven this. Give me my sling and a few smooth stones and I will quiet that sucker. I will take his head off In the name of the God of Israel, whom you have defied this day. And that's how David stood out there in his little five foot, five inch self up against that nine foot tall giant. And he said, today the world will know that there is a God in Israel. We're the little boys who will trust some knuckleheaded disciples with his lunch. And say, here's my five loaves and my two fishes. Let Jesus have my happy meal and he can feed 20,000 people with it. Little becomes much when you put it in the hands of Jesus. Where is there simple faith that will trust in God's word that he will do what he said he would do? You need a miracle? I believe in a God who does miracles today the same way he did yesterday, the same way he did 2,000 years ago. The book of Hebrews says that the new covenant is a better covenant based upon better promises, 
because of a better resurrection. Don't tell me that the God of the old covenant healed people, but now in the new, well, that's not for today. If the new covenant is a better covenant built on better promises because there's a better resurrection, then I ought to have everything they had and then some. Don't shout me down. That'll hit you in a minute. Everything God did for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, he's going to do for me and then some. Come on, somebody. It's a better covenant. I refuse to listen to your stupidity, your cessationism about God doesn't do any more miracles today because let me just be real, real honest with you. That's based on your lack of experience. I want to tell you I've been around the world. I've stood in Indonesia. I've laid hands on sick folks in China. I've been to about every continent on the planet except for Africa and I've seen God do crazy amazing things because people didn't have anything else except to trust God. When we need God enough, it's so easy. We can just pop a pill. We can just straighten out the circumstances with my headache. We can just go get fixed in whatever way. And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm so thankful for that. But when we get in a place where there's nothing else that man can do, it puts me on my face to cry out to God. And when I start in desperation, doing what the guy on this graphic does... The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Some of you are sitting in this room this morning because you have a granny who didn't give up on your sorry butt. Are there people with that kind of faith in this room? Where's the simple faith that will trust in God's word that he will do what he said he would do? That his word would not return void, but it would accomplish what he pleased. It would prosper in the thing where he sent it. The Bible says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. What is your mountain this morning that you're facing? There's no way you can take it down until you first of all deal with the mountain of sin in your own life. None of the promises are accessible to you until you first of all access the first promise, and that's the promise of eternal life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Gracious God, we haven't needed you enough. I confess my lack of faith, my sin. I confess it before you and before this people that you've called me to shepherd. God, by your grace in 2012, I want to preach Jesus bigger than I've ever preached him before. By your grace and by your power, I want to preach a full gospel that's bigger than we've ever realized. God, thank you that that starts with the realization that you have given yourself out of love. For that brother, that sister in this room right now that's felt the drawing of the gospel, faith has leaped in your heart. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's there. You you sense it. Something has washed over you. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. If you've never crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No one's looking around. I just want to ask you right now, if you want to take that step, I'd just like you to, to slip up your hand and just say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I see a hand already right there. Yes, there's another. 
I want to ask you just in this moment to shut everything else out. Nobody's looking around. It's just you looking at Jesus. And you just make these words. You form them in your heart. The Bible says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You say it. You say, Jesus, save me. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Very simple. I want you to know that that promise is sitting here for you to access it. You tap into it by asking in faith. You just say, Jesus, I can't do this. I trust you. I turn from my, my past, whatever it is. You know what it is. Repent means to turn 180 degrees and walk away from that. And you, you turn to Jesus. You say, God, I put my trust in you. I'm no longer going to tr- trust in my own ability to try to figure all this mess out. No matter what it is, whatever the mountain is. You repent and you turn to him and you say, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible says that first promise, it's the gift of God, which is eternal life. You can't earn it because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Anybody else, just with a show of hand, you're raising your hand doesn't save you. I'm just, you're just acknowledging, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to call you up to the front. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Anyone else? Father, in the name of Jesus, for those who've raised their hands this morning to cross the line of faith, right now, as they just make this prayer their own in their heart, and they just say, Jesus, save me. Come into my heart. I trust you. I know I can't do this on my own. There are mountains in my life that I cannot even speak to until I know that I got my heart right with you. Save me, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just want to say to you right now, if, if you've done that, your next step is to be baptized in water and go public with it. We're going to be doing that this next Sunday. So if any of you have crossed that line of faith and never done that, you need to take that step. It's important. It's critical. Father, thank you for the work and the move of the Holy Spirit that you do what no man can do. Now, I want to just for the last few seconds talk to the believers in the room. You've heard something today that literally has gotten large on the inside of you. You've, you've reconnected with a bigger vision. Maybe a dream has died. Maybe plans have failed and you just laid them down. You've gotten complacent and something happened when you heard the words by Sir Francis Drake, disturb us, Lord. Because God has a bigger dream and a bigger plan for your life than what you've been willing to settle for. Some of you in the room are struggling in your marriage. God doesn't just want to fix it so you can get by. He wants you to have something that will literally be an example to others of what God can do. I believe that. Saints in this room this morning struggling with some things nobody knows about. Addictive patterns of behavior. God doesn't love you any less, but he doesn't want you to be in that mess. He wants you to stay there. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. I close. No, head, no one looking around. Every, high, every head bowed, every eye closed. Any saints, any believers here in the room today just need to say, Father, I ask, Lord, for an enlarged vision. I want to ask bigger in 2012 than I've ever asked before. I want to trust you for greater things than I've ever asked for. Forgive me for being limited in my thinking. Hands all over the room. God, you see these hands. Stir us with faith to be everything that you've called us to be. Because it's all, it's not about us, it's all about your son, Jesus Christ. The dream that you had before the foundation of the world. That we'd be on the team with you. 
And we would all be saying, the name above all names, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you, God, that you've put us on that team. We will see the Delta bow its knee to Jesus Christ. Thank you for calling us in Jesus' name. And everybody said...